Welcome to the Atmosphere Church Podcast. On behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this message. We pray that it will touch your heart and change your life. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. Our desire is to help lead you in experiencing God by following Jesus. If you want to find out more information about us, head over to our website at atmosphere.church. We have already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. Enjoy the message. It is time for a reset. It's January, already the middle of January, and it's always a great opportunity when the calendar rolls over to a new year to kind of reevaluate things and to reset our lives, our priorities, things in our lives. And so I think this year, being that we just lived out the longest year in history, 2020, I think, was a whole decade. Uh, It feels like that, at least to me. That, that there were a lot of things, like 2020 in my mind was a year of exposure. Like it, it exposed a lot about our own lives, about our own families, about us as a culture, as a nation. And now that we've had a year of reflection, as these things have kind of been revealed to us, I believe it is the year of reset, especially as the church. And there's no greater way that we can experience a great reset than to go back to a book of the Bible that we see them living their faith in God as followers of Jesus in a radical way. As you read the book of Acts, you would probably think like, wow, these guys are so radical in their faith. And they would probably laugh at that, that we would call it radical. Because to them, this is like the only way to live. This is like normal. What we would brand as radical, they would say, this is normal living when it comes to following Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 9. And I know it's like a beautiful day. Come on, let's give it up for the Lord for giving us this amazing day. Come on, thank you, Jesus. But it is a little warm, so if you need to move uh, shade, there is a bunch of shade down here. So if you, even you want to move and you want to camp out in some shade, uh, there's some more shade here. Or move the umbrella. If it gets windy, just grab onto the umbrella so it doesn't become a flying weapon, all right? So hold on to an awning leg or an umbrella if it gets a little windy. But right now, it, it should be pretty good. But Acts chapter 2, verse 42 We read this a few weeks ago, but it bears repeating on what we're going to be talking about today. It says, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together. Turn to somebody and say, together. Together, with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now we're reading this as an account of the early church. So the tendency or the temptation is going to be to read it like we're reading a history book. 
But really what we're reading here is a training manual. It's a template for how God has not only called them to live out their faith, but how God has called us to live out our faith. And there's this word that pops up in this text, and the word is fellowship. It's not a common English word. We don't use it a lot in, in just our normal day-to-day talk. It's kind of a what we would call Christianese. If you've been to church for quite some time, there's a language in the church, and we call it Christianese for some reason. And this is kind of part of that language, the church language, but it, it, it comes from a Greek word called koinonia. And the word actually means to share with, to partner with, to be together with. So the idea of fellowship is that there is a coming together, there there is a sharing and partnering together where you are living your life with others in partnership. And this was the intention of Jesus from day one when he first got all of his disciples together. His early disciples The apostles, I I like to call it the original Motley crew, because these guys were from all different walks of life. Jesus brings them all together for the kingdom of God, and these guys literally change the world together. And one thing you need to understand when we read the Bible, especially all of these scriptures that are unpacked for us, not just in the book of Acts, but all the writings of the apostle Paul, really how Jesus lived his own life you will learn really quickly that Christianity is a team sport. That it was never intended to be done by yourself. Somebody told me years ago, there's no I in the word team. But there is an M and an E, but that's a different sermon. But this idea is we want to learn how we can move from me to we. How do, we, how do we learn to move from the space? Because here's the problem. There's another plague in our culture and has nothing to do with the virus. The plague is called hyper-individualism. And it's everywhere, especially here in America. It's all about me, 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 me. I, I had such a, a fun time in the late, what, 2000s when the selfie stick came out. Remember that? They became weapons, right? Everybody was taking selfies. Uh, there was a song, but first let me take a selfie. Remember that song? I think the, cha- the Chainsmokers had that song. It, here, here is the epitome of where, we are, are, where we're at culturally is we feel as though sometimes the world revolves around us. And that's fine if you don't know God and you don't follow Jesus. But the moment you shift your life and you live your life with faith in God as a follower of Jesus, you shift from this individual mentality to this community mentality. That's moving from me to we. And this is the way Jesus always intended us to live. The word fellowship, I gave you the definition, but I like how this one friend of mine defined it years ago. He said, fellowship is two fellows being in the same ship. (laughs) that's really a great way of describing it because what it does is it shows us that we're all in the same boat together. And especially as followers of Jesus, we have the greatest gift of life in common with other people that have also shared in the experience of becoming a follower of Jesus. Like nothing else 
trumps that commonality that we are followers of Jesus, which makes us children of God. Let me give you the scripture in Galatians chapter three. It says, so in Christ Jesus, you are the children, uh, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter to the Galatian church is trying to bring these guys together on the commonality that they share Christ with one another. That, that they have now all put on the outfit of Christ. So all of the differences that they shared, and they all had differences, and even the early disciples, the original Motley crew had differences. I mean, the differences were so big that in Jesus's original 12 disciples, you had a zealot and you had a tax collector. Now, what's interesting about this is the zealot was the nationalist. He was the guy that did not want Rome to occupy Palestine. And so he was always getting together with his buddies, trying to figure out how they were going to overthrow the Roman rule of Palestine. Made him a zealot. And then on the opposite spectrum, you had this tax collector who worked with the Roman government to collect all of these taxes and would take a little extra for himself. So they were looked at as thieves and liars and cheaters and traitors. And it always makes me laugh to think that Jesus specifically chose these guys to follow him. But as I read my Bible, never do I ever read that there was a problem between Simon the zealot and Matthew the tax collector. And if there was, it never made scripture. It never made a verse, never talked about it because what they had in common was so much greater than what was different with them. I want to just pause and identify an issue that we're all really dealing with, with 2021. It's fine when the government has differences and divide, that we should expect that. It's, it's perfectly acceptable and almost expected to see media be divided and have differences of ideology and how they approach different subjects. But what's a sad commentary with this last season that we just experienced is that division has seeped into the walls of the church. And that should not be. Sure, we all have our ideology. And we're all posting on Facebook. That's a different sermon. But everyone's like, da, da, da. but here's what's happening. The church instead of celebrating this commonality that we have Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We have eternity written in our hearts that we are going to heaven and that we've been forgiven of our sin. Instead of celebrating that, we are letting our ideology trump our theology. Come on, somebody. And it's okay to have opinions. But when we come together as a church... Those differences shouldn't even be felt with each other. But that's not the way things have been lately. You could feel the tension. And I have friends that believe differently politically. I have friends that, that don't see the world the same way. 
And it's sad to me that some of those differences are getting in the way of the biggest thing that we have in common, and that's Christ. We, we have to be together because we're being called together in fellowship and a house divided will not stand. Jesus said that himself. So what's gonna help us is we gotta get rid of this individualism and move into this place of fellowship that God has called us to live as his followers. So if you wanna move from me to we, Maybe you used to be a we, but you moved back to me. Let's, let's kind of use this talk today to kind of hit the reset button on how we're choosing to live life. Because it's always going to be better when you live your life with other people versus you living your life on your own. Number one, write this down. If you want to move from me to we, surround yourself with the right people. Notice I said the right people because we can surround ourselves with the wrong people. And that's not good for our souls. But there's something powerful when you surround yourself with the right people. Fast forward to Acts chapter 9. And I'm going to spend probably a little bit more time on this point because I believe it's probably the most important from moving to me or from me to we. It says, when Saul came to Jerusalem, verse 26, he was trying to associate with the disciples. Okay, He was having disciples arrested. He was having them put on trial. He was even uh, partnering with guys to see them killed. It says, but the disciples were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a true disciple himself. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. So Barnabas was one of these early followers of Jesus. And he hears this guy, Saul, and he, and he was like, there's something special about this guy. Even though I know he's been making trouble for us, he's been having followers arrested, he's been having them killed, but there's something about him. He's a different guy. And it says he took hold of him. You know what the name Barnabas means son of encouragement? And I will tell you that our story today would be totally different if Barnabas had not stepped up that day. Think about it. What if Barnabas wasn't there to step up and to let Saul kind of be invited in to the group? What if Saul just kind of just kept his, him, himself on the edges and nobody ever brought him in? Maybe he would have never developed his faith. Maybe he would not be the, the preacher and the evangelist that, that he became to the Gentiles. Who knows? But Barnabas decided that he was going to take him in and it changed his story. Changed his story. I want to just pause and just challenge you out there that you are a Barnabas to somebody else. That you are called by God to take somebody that may be on the edge, that may be new to faith, that may not know a lot about the Bible, and God is calling you to be a son or daughter of encouragement to bring them in so that they may be trained up. Who is your Saul in your life? 
I believe as you kind of challenge yourself to think like that, you're probably going to have somebody come to your mind right now going, I could see them kind of being a Saul type of person. They're kind of maybe searching for answers in their life. Maybe they're, they're, you know, they've been raised in the church, but they never really developed their faith at all. And God may be using this talk today to tell you that he's put an anointing of Barnabas on your life to bring that person, to take hold of them and bring them in. And on the flip side of that, you may be the Saul. You may be here, you may be new to faith, and you're like, I don't get it. Like all these other people's lives, they're all perfect, but I think I'm the only screwed up person here. <laughs> Some people think like that. They just don't know people in the church yet. <laughs> Let me tell you, we're all messed up, but we have Jesus living on the inside of us, healing us from the inside, and empowering us to live differently on the outside. That's the difference. But there's no perfect people here. So you may be a Saul. You may be thinking, man, these people want nothing to do with me. If they only knew what I've done in my life, if, if they only knew the things that I've, I've said in my life. And here, let me just declare to you as the pastor of this church, we want to be your Barnabas. We, we, we want to be that encourager for your life to come alongside of you and show you what God really wants to do for your life and with your life. I did this diagram years ago and it really helped a lot of people. So I, I think I've maybe shown this to you once before. Uh, this is really hard to see. So we'll, we'll try to put that on our notes or on the website. But this is what I call the, the diagram called the Fantastic Four that I think if every believer, if every follower of Jesus really took this diagram to heart and applied it to their life, they would help themselves and their faith tremendously at the same time build an insulation to make it more difficult for the enemy to pick them off in their life. Because here you have, you're in the middle, you're surrounded by two encouragers, one on the left, one on the right. And then Right below you is a younger learner. This is somebody that's newer maybe in their faith than you are. Somebody that, that may have uh, just started learning about the Bible and, and they just want to know more. But you're like, I, I don't know everything about the Bible, but I definitely know more than they do and I could probably help them. And then if everybody were to take somebody that's a little bit further along in their faith, somebody that's kind of experienced more in their faith with God and following Jesus. So think about it. If you have this mentor, you have this learner, and you have these two encouragers, you've just built a parameter around yourself that is going to make it much more difficult for you to get devoured in this world. And it happens. Some people that choose to live life by themselves, a problem breaks out, a challenge happens, and they have really no people in their life to help come to their rescue. I was going to play the video in last service I did, but you can't see it, so it, it, I'll just have to put it online. You can follow my socials, and, and I'll put it on there. But uh, Joe and I have done a safari in Africa before, and it's pretty wild out there. But there was this safari that happened in this state park called Kruger. And it was captured on film like about 12, 13 years ago. And the video went viral because it was pretty crazy. So here this Pride Alliance came after this herd of buffalo. 
and they end up taking out this little baby calf. So all the lions pounced on this calf, pulled the calf away from the herd, and just were ready to have the calf for lunch. Well, in the attack, the calf falls into the river and a crocodile comes out of the river thinking that, the, that you know, it was gonna get a free lunch. So you have this battle going on, the crocodiles trying to take the calf from the lions. And then the video gets really interesting because as the lions are distracted by trying to rescue their lunch from the crocodiles, the buffalo kind of reset. And they come back over to where this baby calf was taken down and all these lions were on top of the baby calf. And they keep moving closer and closer to this baby calf with all these lions on top of this baby calf. And pretty soon those horns start just going and lions just start flying off one after another until pretty soon like the lions are running for their life from these buffalo and this baby calf that I just saw, the first time I saw this video, I go, that baby calf is dead by now. I mean, it's had like eight lions just eating it, right? And that baby calf, as the, the herd gets closer and closer, the baby calf pops back up to its feet and goes back into the herd and the lions are sitting there just dumbfounded because they were outnumbered and so they lost their lunch that day literally <laughs> it's such a great word picture for what fellowship really does for us because it's not just about having some friends to go out with after church but this is a life-saving principle for many of you that eventually at some point are going to feel attacked in your life that when you know that you have a herd that has your back, that when the lions are moving in, they're moving in even closer. Come on, do you know a friend like that? This is the kind of fellowship that God has ordered for all of our lives as followers of Jesus. And he's put us here, I believe, on purpose in this church specifically. Some of you have come from all kinds of different walks of life, and God has called you here specifically because you have battle buddies, you have Barnabases here that are going to be your encourager. You have mentors in your life here that are gonna help mentor you and pull you forward. You're gonna have people that are learners here. We have so many people making first-time decisions to follow Jesus. We need some people to step up and help take these people under their wing and show them what it looks like to follow Jesus practically in their life. But here's where it gets serious. We've had what about 11 months now of COVID? The weather kind of tripped me out yesterday because I walked outside. It had that eerie same vibe when COVID first broke out. Remember that? Like it was kind of like this temperature and it was, everything was weird. And so this weirdness started kind of coming over me going, huh? You know, I know people in this church that pretty much have not left their house since March. And I'm trying to reach them. I'm trying to follow up with them. And for whatever reason, I'm not going to judge them because, you know, everybody has their reasons. But that doesn't mean we can't keep reaching out to them. I really felt impressed by the Holy Spirit to just pause and pray for people that maybe are MIA. They're missing in action. We haven't heard from them. We haven't seen them in a while. They used to, we used to at least see them once a week at church. We haven't seen them. And I want, I want to pray because maybe God is going to use you to help rescue somebody that's under major attack. 
and pull them back up to their feet and get them a back part of the herd. So let me pray this. Father, there are people in our life that we love deeply and we're all busy. We're all preoccupied with all of this craziness, but Lord, cause us to remember somebody right now that may be going through something pretty brutal and God, you want to use us to help go into their aid and help rescue them from maybe the grip of the enemy coming against their life. Put that person on our Holy Spirit supernaturally. Cause somebody to come to our mind right now that we could reach out to this week and make a difference with. In Jesus' name, amen. How, how many, when I was just praying that, you remembered somebody? Just raise your hand. Let me, let me see a show and say, yeah, I thought of somebody. Okay, so now follow up with that. Text them, call them. Go have coffee. I found out Stonehouse, is, uh, they still have tables out there. Go, that's a great little place that you can go and have coffee with and, and circle up with somebody, all right? So that's surround yourself with the right people. Number two, write this down, and that is circle up with a life-giving group on a regular basis. Life-giving, not life-taking. Because we all have groups in our life, you get around them, and maybe it's kind of fun, but it's really not life-giving. When I mean life-giving, I mean like you leave that group going, wow, I feel closer with God. I feel more inspired in my faith. I feel like I really am encouraged. That's life-giving. And God has a group for each of us to belong to that will help bring that life-giving spirit into your life. And as Pastor Phil was saying earlier, we believe life change happens better in circles than it does rows. And part of the reason is because when you get in a circle on a regular basis with, with guys or gals, I kept wondering, like, I call, I call guys bros, but I don't know what to call the women. So uh, somebody told me, they're ladies. I go, that's good. So the bros and the ladies, all right? So, you know, I was, I, I was just thinking about that. Like, what really helps is, like, when you start meeting with the same people on a regular basis, you build relational equity with them. And it becomes that much easier to speak real talk with them. You know, when somebody's a stranger, you don't really know them that well. You're like, I'm not going to really let them in on how bad my family really is. Not yet. I don't want to overwhelm them. <laughs> I want to wait for the third date on that one. All right. There, there's some people who's just like, okay, it's not yet. But as you continue to, to meet together, and we have the word of God as the central thing that, that can hold us and, and give us a purpose of meeting together. But as we start learning each other's stories, what it does is it helps create a safe place where one of the most freeing things I can hear from somebody tell me in a circle, I've never told anyone this before, but this is what I want to say. When something is brought from the dark recesses of their heart into the light of a, of a life-giving group like this, freedom happens. Because that's what happens when you let something that's been living in the dark come to the light. You get set free from it. The devil is so good about trying to keep things secret and keep things hidden because he knows as long as they're secret and as long as they're hidden, you're not gonna be free from that. But as soon as you expose that, as soon as you let some trusted people into that space, my friend, you are going to experience freedom. So freedom happens so much better in circles than it does rows because people feel safe. And then not only that, you know what I've, I've seen in the groups that I've been a part of over the years is that you start meeting with people 
and you feel sometimes like you're the only one going through this thing that you're experiencing, maybe a mental bubble. You're like, Am I, I think I'm the only one that thinks this way. Or I'm the only one that has a marriage problem going on in my life. And then you get in a circle and everyone starts you know, saying like, man, I struggle with anxiety. Or man, I really struggle with anger and having a temper. Or, I, man, my marriage is in trouble. You're like, I thought I was the only one. So you get in a life-giving group and then you're like, wow, like we are all in this together and we can help one another out the more that we let other people in. So good. Guess what, guys? In two weeks, we're gonna launch new life groups and we're gonna have home life groups. We're gonna have men's life groups. We're gonna have ladies' life groups and we're also gonna have special interest life groups. We have a golf group. You can get close to Jesus and golf at the same time. Did you know that's possible? For me, it's going to be a, a tricky thing because I feel like I get further from God when I go golfing. Um, but, but we're going to have a, a group, a stretching, stretching for Jesus, like a yoga type thing. I mean, we're going to have Zoom groups if you just want to meet over Zoom. So we have a whole page on our website that's dedicated to finding a life group that you think like, wow, I could really belong to this group. I, they have, we have a lot in common together besides Jesus. Here's the third thing. Write this down. Moving from me to we is serve people on a team. There's so many benefits for serving people. I mean, I could go on and on on this point, but God has wired us to make a difference in other people's lives by serving Ephesians 2 verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And when you begin serving, not only are you fulfilling a purpose that God has in your life, but when you serve on a team, you get to do it with other people that are going to help you serve even stronger and serve even better. And there's something that bonds you when you're serving with somebody else that just meeting even in a life group doesn't give you the opportunity to, especially us dudes. We have a hard time just sharing our feelings around a circle. But when we're putting up these umbrellas and awnings and we start kind of just having this shared, we're serving together, guys have a, have a better way of, of expressing how they're doing when they're kind of doing something together like an activity like setting up or tearing down the amphitheater every week. That's just one example. But if I could get each of you on a serve team serving other people I know your fellowship barometer is going to go off the charts because not only are you, you going to be making a difference for somebody else, you're going to be doing it with other people. So that's what I mean by serving on a team. We have First Friday Outreach that we do every Friday night now. We go to a local hotel and we just start knocking on doors as a team. We start knocking on doors. Hey, how can we pray for you? How can we uh, maybe uh, bless you? What, what do you need right now? And so we want to we want to just have this conversation. And you know that that's hard to do when you're by yourself and you're going to some stranger's door knocking on it. You're by yourself going, "Hey, can I pray for you?" They're like, "Get lost, dude." But when there's like three or four people and they're like, "Hey, we're from a local church. We're here because we love you. We're here for you. We just want to know how we can pray for you and and maybe there's some practical needs that we can help you with." So much easier to do in a group. There's a reason when Jesus sent his disciples out, he sent them out in twos most of the time because it's so much easier to do something with someone else than it is to do it by yourself. 
not just serving on our first Friday outreach, but even here, we have so many serve opportunities. You know, we do church as volunteers mainly. We, we don't have this incredible budget where everybody's just hired. So everything that we're doing here, we're, we're just, we're doing it because we love God and we want to see lives changed. So we do kids ministry. Our volunteers over there are meeting with your kids and they're teaching your kids, giving your kids a foundation. Join a kids ministry. I mean, that changed my life, honestly. When I first surrendered my life to Christ and, and I was fully in, I, I was going to this church. I was involved in church for the first time as a follower of Jesus. And I started dating the pastor's daughter. Can you believe that? I was like, what is my life now? I'm dating the pastor's daughter. And she was teaching this first grade class. And she said, hey, I'm doing this class. You want to be my assistant? You want to help me? And I go, uh, I'm not ready for that yet. I am way unqualified. And fortunately, back then, they didn't have the background checks that they have now, all right? Not that I did anything that would put your children in jeopardy, but I was just living a very worldly lifestyle. And so I felt super disqualified. She said, you know what? Really, honestly, I just need help with making sure the first graders don't get lost while their parents are in church. And I go, well, I could do that. So I went out there and I was there the first day as, you know, this kid's ministry person. And then Tara started, you know, sharing her little story. And then like, I got this analogy and then something came over me. I'm like, kids, it's kind of like when you have a Tonka truck and say, I'm a, I'm a kid of the eighties. We, you know, our trucks were like metal right? Tonka trucks. How many remember Tonka trucks? I'm a Tonka truck. And it's like this other Tonka truck, we crash. And then, and I'm doing this analogy and I'm getting all fired up. And Tara leaves, you know, we leave that class and she's like, you're pretty good at this. Why don't you come back again? I was like, that was pretty fun. It revolutionized my faith, especially the first time one of those little kids called me teacher Jim. I was like, oh, I can never mess up again, man. These little kids are calling me teacher Jim now. There was something there that helped propel me in my faith by serving on a team. And I'm here to say that I never stopped serving on a team. That led to doing a big kids ministry thing, which led me to help with the youth, which led me to help the young adults, which led me to help, you know, start this new campus in Las Vegas that led me to leading the church in Las Vegas, which ultimately led me here to start this new campus in Thousand Oaks. All because of one decision I made to serve on a team with other people. So let me give you, as we close our time together, three truths, because I, I, I don't want these things, I want full disclosure here, what it means to be in true fellowship. So here's three truths about true fellowship, and, and you, you need this declared over you. So, so th- this is like, you know, in the commercials for the, the prescription medications, the little disclosure that they give at the end of the commercial, sometimes like that's 45 seconds of the commercial, the side effects. Let, let me give you the side effects of fellowship. Here's the first one, is you're going to get offended. You're going to get your feelings hurt. When you make yourself vulnerable with other human beings, that is unfortunately a negative byproduct of it. But, but just understand something. H- having a family doesn't mean you're never going to have disagreements or differences that are going to raise up. But when y- your family... Your DNA supersedes the differences or disagreements that pop up. And so being a part of fellowship means 
that every once in a while somebody's going to say something or do something and it's just not going to sit well with you. And I'm not saying you need to be a pushover. You need to address that. You need to, to talk to that person and, and work that out just like a family would. But what I've seen over 20 plus years leading the church, people get offended. I'm leaving that church. That person in that ministry, they offended me. They hurt my feelings. And guess what? They go to the next church. The dust settles, they get involved. And pretty soon I hear they're offended again. They got their feelings hurt again. So they go to a third church. They get involved again. They get offended again. They get their feelings hurt again. And so some people would say, well, I'm just not getting involved anymore with church. Hello? That's the very reason you need to be involved in church because God is using relationships with one another to build deeper roots in our own lives so that we can be more mature believers for his kingdom. It's it's a part of the process of being able to get over yourself. That's what marriage is about. (laughs) Somebody told me once, they said, marriage isn't about happiness, it's about holiness (laughs) because God uses marriage to work out all of the problems that you have inside of yourself. He's, he's making you holy in that marriage. And I believe he uses our relationship with one another to refine those rough edges in our life. And here's a newsflash. It's not just that person that offended you that has rough edges. My friend, you still have rough edges. You still have things that need to be smoothed out in your own life. So how we do that is we stay together. And somebody that bounces from church to church to church, the problem is, You're so busy transplanting yourself with all these different churches, you never allow your roots to mature and go deep. Because if you're always transplanting, the roots can never go deep. They stay in the pot. So we need to let our roots go deep. That's the first truth. The second truth is you're going to be inconvenienced. There's going to be times that you just want to go into chill mode. I just want I just want to watch some Netflix right now. I've had a hard day at work and bling bling, you know, text message goes off, phone call. You just sat down to watch The Bachelor, you know, and they call you, "Hey man, my marriage is a mess. Man, I don't know if we're going to make it." Like, you know, the cops just got called. You're going to have to walk away from the TV show. Fellas, you might have to turn off the game cuz your bros in trouble. It's inconvenience. Sometimes when you get really close to people, they are so comfortable they can ask you for money. <laughs> That's inconvenient. Because you're like, I need money. What are you talking about? But sometimes you know that happens. It's inconvenient. But the reward is so much worth any inconvenience. Because some of you have had to be an inconvenience to somebody else when you were in trouble. And it's your way of being able to pay it forward when you're able to be there for somebody that is in desperate need when it's not in alignment with the schedule that you have. But here's the greatest side effect is you will grow in your faith when you allow true fellowship to take place. You will grow. Because here's the reality. I've experienced this. If you've ever made that New Year's resolution that this year I'm gonna run five miles a day, and then there comes that first morning in January where you have to get up because you're going to run five miles a day and the alarm goes off and you're like, Ma, tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. And then tomorrow turns into next week, t- turns into next month, and pretty soon it's December and you're propping yourself up to make another New Year's resolution. Next year, I'm going to run five miles a day. 
You know, it changes the whole equation when you pull somebody else in on that agreement. And somebody else says, hey, I want to run five miles a day. You do? Yeah. I'm going to come over to your house and we're going to run together. And you're like, all right, you're all charged up. You're ready to go. But 6 a.m. comes and eh, 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 alarm's going off. You're like, no way. All of a sudden you hear this. All your neighbors are getting mad at you because there's your buddy. He's like, I'm here, bro. We're going to run five miles today. And you're like, okay, I guess I don't have a choice. I got to get up and I got to go run. See, when you make a decision to enter into true fellowship, you're going to run further and you're going to run faster in your faith because you're not doing it by yourself. You're doing it with somebody else that wants to run further and faster in their faith. And that is what makes fellowship so important for our faith. Thank you for tuning in today to another great message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on Spotify, iTunes Podcast, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms, and then click the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our family. For more information about our church, go to our official website at atmosphere.church. Finally, if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you? To make a donation, simply go to our website and click the link that says Give. Your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Until next time, we pray you will keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love.